Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. That takes us to our message, so at this time I ask you to, to look in that program and you will see your Crosswalk notes. Your Crosswalk notes and we will get started. We have been in this series with David from zero to hero, going from a, a shepherd uh, up to being the king of Israel. And, and we're watching David as he slowly uh, moves forward in this progression until the Lord finally makes him king. And as we are looking at this today, it is the day finally when David is recognized by people as the king. And this had been a a long time coming where this promised authority that God was going to give him, he was finally going to enjoy. And I want you to think about that, that concept of authority. And authority, I think, is something under which all of us for a period of time, we can chafe under authority because when there's authority, a part of that authority is is people who are over us and, and they tell us what is best for us or something that we need to do and we don't necessarily like that. And so you might have a conversation with a child and you tell them, you know what? It's nap time. And they tell you, I don't wanna take a nap. And then you say, I don't care if you want to take a nap. As a matter of fact, I didn't ask you if you want to take a nap. I told you that you're going to take a nap. And then they think, you know what? You know what? When I get older, I'm not going to take a nap. And, and, and when I have my own house and you come over, I'm going to make you take a nap. And then you say, huh, I want to take a nap and I can't. So, ha. Huh. I guess I'm going to win then, too. But you think about that with, and and it does start young. I don't want to eat my vegetables. I don't care if you don't want to eat your vegetables. You need to do that. When you get older and you move out of the house, you can do whatever you want. But as long as you're here, that's what you're going to do. And then as they get older, it's just what you're going to fight about changes. About but I want this tattoo right now. Well, I told you you're not going to get it. Well, when can I have that pierced? When can I have, and you tell them, you know what? That's not gonna happen today. And then what starts to happen is, I don't know if it's the same with your kids and it was with me the same way. I can't wait till I turn 18. Because you know what's gonna happen on, when I turn 18? After I stop at the casino and buy cigarettes, I'm moving out of the house. How how do you like that, mom and dad? Uh, Now you're going to have to deal with that. And then when I turn 21, forget about it. All those things you tell me that I can't do, all of them I'm going to do. And you see, that's what sometimes happens with authority. When we have those in authority over us, we chafe under it. And, And so as we look towards the future, All we can see is when we're going to be in the driver's seat and we get to do what we want to do. You see, as we look at David, what's very interesting about this is God promised him really ultimate authority that he was going to be the king. 
But David, as he, he lived his life, he had numerous opportunities, numerous opportunities to go and, and take that authority and say, today is the day I'm going to grab this authority and finally I'm going to have it. David didn't do that. David was patient. He realized that authority is not just a gift from God, but authority is God's. God is the authority in all of the world. And, and, and if he chooses to, sh to share that authority, whether it be with a, a king or whether it be with a parent or a, a boss or whoever it might happen to be, it is God's authority to give. See, at David's time, there were people who would look forward to, to that authority. And there were kings. You can read through the pages of the Bible. These were, these were people who were kings in Israel that when they finally were looking forward to becoming the king, first of all, some couldn't wait. And so as they looked towards the throne that their father had, that they, they killed him. Say, you know what, the sooner I get him out of the way, the sooner I get on the throne. Others, once they became king, became very paranoid about their, their brothers and sisters and their children, so they would kill all of their families so that no one would take this authority away from them. But again, as we look at authority, we understand it in a little bit different way. That we understand authority is not mine to take, but rather that it is the Lord's to give. And it's that lesson as, as we look at David today that is one that we want to come to a better understanding of. The section we are going to be looking at today covers years. And it covers chapters. And so what I'm going to do with you today is a little bit of telling the story. And then what we're going to do is go back and look at a few highlights. So where we begin is on the battlefield. And, and we're with King Saul and Jonathan and two other of Saul's sons. And they are fighting the Philistines. And David's not involved with this battle. David is, is far away. And... Saul and, and is, is fighting the Philistines with his sons and the, the fighting is getting heavy and Israel starts to lose and, and Israel now is on the run. And as they are on the run, Jonathan is killed. Two other of, of Saul's sons are killed and Saul is mortally wounded. And as he is there on a hillside watching his, his army lose and he realizes he's going to die, he asks his armor bearer to kill him. He said, take your sword and run me through. It's better that I die here than if I get captured by one of the Philistines. And, and who knows? God only knows what they would do to me. But the armor bearer was afraid. And he said, I, I will not do it. And so what happened was Saul ended up taking his own sword and, and falling on it that he, he killed himself on the battlefield. The next day, the Philistines were going around the battlefield and they saw Saul's armor and recognized that it was Saul. They also found Jonathan and his other two brothers. And what the Philistines did is they cut their heads off, they nailed them to a city wall, and then, and then left their heads there as a sign of their great victory. That day, some men from a town named Jabesh Gilead heard what had happened and how Saul and, and his sons, how they were humiliated by the way that they were treating their bodies. These men marched through the night, attacked that city, 
got the bodies back. They ended up burning them, taking the bones, and giving them a proper burial. A few days passed, and there was another individual who happened to witness Saul dying and, and everything that happened. And, and what this individual did wasn't an Israelite, went to David and, and told David, Saul was on the battlefield and he was wounded. So what I did is I took my sword and I, and I killed him uh, for you. Figuring, well, if I tell David that I killed Saul, he'll love me for that because that's the only thing standing between him and being the king. David was appalled and said, how dare you kill the Lord's anointed? And immediately had someone there put him to death for killing the king. David then went on to lament uh, uh, the death of Jonathan, the death of Saul. And, And you would think at that time, finally, David would become king, but he didn't. And the reason why is because there was another individual. His name was Abner. Abner was one of Saul's uh, generals. He was the chief general of Saul. And what happened was Abner was still alive, and so was one of Saul's sons named Ishbosheth. And, and what Abner did is he went and got Ishbosheth and said, You are going to be the king. Well, he wasn't king material, I'll just say it that way. And, and the reason why Abner did this was so that he could have the power and authority that, that Ishbosheth would be the figurehead and Abner would be able to do whatever he wanted. And this relationship lasted about two years. And it was two years in when, when David was being the king in Judah and Abner was being the king in the northern area of like 10 of the tribes, David had two that two men broke into the palace uh, in the middle of the day and they killed Ishbosheth. They they stabbed him and killed him. And then they snuck out, they ran away, and they ran to David. And they said, David, great news. We just killed Ishbosheth for you. So now you get to be the king of, of not only Judah, but of all Israel. You know what David did? put him to death, immediately said, that is not the way you treat uh, an innocent person like Ishbosheth. That is not the way the Lord works. That is not the way I operate. You are guilty of murder. They were put to death. Then over a period of time, David was fighting the Philistines, protecting the, the, the children of Israel, and it became obvious not just to the people of Judah, but also the people of Israel, that David should be their king. And so they all rallied together without any more fighting, and David became the king of of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was at that time when finally, finally, David was given the throne. This was after approximately 17 years, 17 years from the time that he was anointed until he became king, that David became king that day. And one of the things that he did is he asked are there any more descendants of Saul or any of, of Saul's children, specifically of Jonathan? And you can imagine what the people thought. Yeah, he wants to get these relatives. You know why? Put them to death. That way they can't take the throne from him anymore. But exactly the opposite happened. There was a, an individual named Mephibosheth and I'm going to try to say that name as little as possible, this message, Mephibosheth. 
because I don't say it very well. And anyways, he was uh, the, the son of Jonathan, and when he was a baby, he was dropped. And uh, we used to say that about my brother too, but that's a whole nother story. But he actually was dropped. And, and he was dropped on his legs, and because of that, he was lame and he couldn't walk. And David found him, uh, that he had kind of been in hiding, and David brought him and said, you know, you're Jonathan's son, and he said yes. And that's when David said, you are going to be at my table. You're going to have a place at my table uh, as long as I'm king. You are like family to me. And, and it's these things, that's the end of the lesson, then. it's these things, these, these events really that show us David's authority and how he viewed authority. That those who thought they could go by any means and take that authority, take something that did not belong to them, take something that belonged to God and, and think that they could come and take it by, by their murder and, and things like that, David said, that is not the way this works. That is not the type of, of kingship that is going to mark what I do. But rather, as we look at David, if you're looking for, for a, an event that would mark the type of king he wanted to be, was one where he took Mephibosheth, and he, he brought him in and showed him mercy and kindness. So that as the backdrop of what we're going to be talking about today, we go to our lesson. And it's in 2 Samuel 1, verse 11 and 12. This goes all the way back to when David is finding out that Saul and Jonathan are dead. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them, which was a sign of just being unbelievably upset. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Very interesting when you look at the, the, the sadness. These were individuals that David considered brothers. Individuals that he had fought side by side, not just some of them, really all of them. And so it was a personal loss, a loss on a personal level as he looked at his, his friend Jonathan. It was a loss on a, a national level as he realized that this, these were the armies of Israel and, and he still, in his heart, was a member of this, this promised people, this nation of Israel. But also it was a spiritual loss. These were the armies of the Lord. And, and so on this day when, when Saul lost his authority, when the mantle of authority was taken from Saul, and, and this would be a time where, where you think it would have been put on David, that a part of him would have been happy that finally he's going to get what he was promised, that David was not happy, uh, that, that it was a day that it was sad. The second lesson that we have there from 2 Samuel 2 shows now the transfer of power. Just at the time when you think David is going to get this, this kingship, this is what happens. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, Ashuri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. As David heard this, you can, a part of me asked to wonder if he went, really, Abner? Abner, you know, Saul knew that I was the anointed king of Israel. Jonathan knew. Jonathan was the one who should have been the next king. Jonathan knew that I was going to be the next king. That you would think, finally, Abner, you would realize 
that, that what you're doing is wrong, that, that it's my turn to be king. I am the next one in line. And so in the blank you can write, the worthwhile things that God gives us in life usually come with challenges. The worthwhile things that God gives us in life usually come with challenges. They take long periods of time. They, like I said, with this, this was over 17 years. And, and during that time period, one of the reasons why it didn't come quickly is because David wasn't ready for it. During all of this, God was preparing him through good times and through bad times. David was not ready for it. And when David was ready for it, and when God was ready to give it to him, and when it would be best for the nation, David would become king. I want to start here because in my dealing with, with, with people, and I, I hate to, to lump everyone together, but this is, this is something I've found. As a rule, what I have found that when it comes to spiritual things and the promises of God, you give up too easy. I give up too easily. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that, that someone comes to me and, and they say, you know what, we have been away from God and we've, we've, and we've been away from his word. Pastor, what do you suggest that we do? And, and always, as, as part of that, you need to be closer to God. So I suggest devotions and the reading of God's word, period. That's, that, that's going to be a no-brainer answer you get every time. But then what happens is I meet with these same people a week later. You know, we tried it for three days, and then it was like it really wasn't helping us much. And, and so we just kind of gave up on that. So what else do you have? Are there any other ways that you could help us? You know, we've been having marriage problems, and we tried at it. In the fourth day, though, we got in this big argument, and so we decided to do, to do something else. Do you have any other things that we could do? It's like, don't, really? Don't you understand this? This is something that is long-term, that this is something that, that you, you, day after day, that is a pattern of behavior, and it, I would liken it sometimes to, to getting in shape where it doesn't happen. I worked out three times this week and I don't feel any better. As a matter of fact, I feel more sore. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this. There must be another way. And so what I have found, what I have found with people is, is this use of this language where, you know, I believe the Lord is leading me to do this. And, and, and they'll use that terminology, I believe the Lord's leading me to do this. There, there's no word of God involved in this, no Bible passages, nothing like that. But what's also crazy about where God is leading them, it's where they want to go, and it's the path of least resistance. Wow. What, what are the odds? That's how God treats, that is how God speaks to you, whatever's easiest, the, 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 the way that's easiest to go and the thing that I want. I challenge you. I challenge you as you look at your life and the things that you are doing and the direction that God is leading you that to consider the challenges that are there, the things that are hard work and, and see how God has blessed them in David's life and to see how he blesses them in yours as well. We continue. 2 Samuel 4, uh, 2 verse 46, excuse me. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, 
And there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. So now finally David is recognized at least as a part king. At this time they were in Hebron. Jerusalem still hadn't been conquered yet. So there was no king in Jerusalem or anything like that. So, So David's anointed king in Judah for just two tribes. When David was told it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul... He sent messengers to them to say to them, the Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness and I too will show you the same favor. So he's asking God to bless them. Now he's showing, I am going to show you the same favor because you have done this. Wow. Wow. I, I know I've talked about this a little bit, but, but remember, those people who were going to take the kingdom by force, who were going to, to be, I killed Saul, I killed Saul's son. David had no use for them. But now individuals from Jabesh Gilead who, who showed their, their wanting to do what was right by going and, and just getting Saul's body and showing a kindness in that way, David's response, the Lord bless you, and not just the Lord bless you, I bless you. I will not forget what you have done. This reflects the type of character you have, and I thank God for it. In the blank, you can write, once a man after God's own heart, David was now starting to be a king after God's own heart. David now beginning to be a king after God's own heart. And what does that mean? To be, to be a person after God's own heart, to be a king after God's own heart, it means what God values, I value. What God stands for, I stand for. What God says is right, I say is right. When, when, when God speaks and, and gives us a direction to go, that is the direction that we are going to take. And I'm telling you, this is important because this was a complete change from what these people were used to. They, they were used to just the opposite with, with Saul, that, that it was someone who was looking out for himself, and now it was this change. I'm telling you, this is hard. This is hard to do individually, but it's even harder to do as a king or someone in, in terms of leadership. And, and the reason why I say that is this, is that, for instance, if I try to be a person after God's own heart, and I say, you know what? I'm going to have the Lord guide me in my finances. I'm going to, to live inside my means with, uh, with my family and the way that I spend money. And, uh, and I'm going to let that guide me and I'm going to trust God to provide. That's, that's what I'll do. And I'll trust God to, to do that. But now for a pastor and a leader of a church... People want to know, are we getting land or not? What's the story with that? How much money do we have? When are we going to get that done? And, and, and where exactly, how is it going to happen? Where is it going to come from? What's the plan? And, and so if I stand up here today and say, well, I think what we're going to do today is we're going to pray about it. That's great, Pastor. We can pray about it, but what are we going to do about it? 
And, and you see what happens is, is as you make that transition of just going in your own life to now taking others, so many other people are involved in it. And so for David, if it's David going with his shepherd, being as a shepherd with his sheep, and, and there's a lion or a bear coming to attack, and he's going to trust God, and he's going to go out there and fight it, if, any, if this goes wrong, what happens? David dies. Oh, well, I guess he made a mistake. But now with David as a king, if the Philistines are coming, and, and, and they're coming with chariots, and they're coming with all their soldiers, and they ask David, David, what should we do? And David says, let's just pray about it. Maybe I should go in the temple, and, and we'll see what happens. Okay, David, but what do we need to do? They're, they're not looking for spiritual advice. They're looking for practical advice on what to do with the army. David gives a, a little window into this in Psalm 27. I don't have it for, for the board, but uh, if you have a Bible with you or if you have a phone app, Psalm 27, I'm going to read a few verses, and, and this is David describing his kingship. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. What David is trying to explain in this psalm about being a king after God's own heart is, is something that Jesus would later share 1,500 years later when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. And so David's main role as the king was to keep people focused on their God. And so as you look at the, the authority that with which God has given you or, or which, with which he's blessed you, recognizing that authority comes from God, that your number one responsibility is to keep those under your authority focused back at him. Because if you don't, if David would have not done that, he would have lost already. We continue. And now, since David is a king after God's own heart, and he's going to reflect the values of God, we're going to look at a couple places where he did that. This goes back maybe six, seven years earlier. And this is 1 Samuel 20. I read this three weeks ago. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Jonathan and David made this agreement, this promise that if, if Saul were to go after any of David's family, Jonathan would protect them. And if anything ever happened where, where Jonathan was under attack, David would protect Jonathan and his family. Well, at the time this promise was made, David was the one who was getting kicked out of the kingdom. 
that it looked like the one who would really have to do something for this promise wasn't, wasn't David, it was Jonathan, that Jonathan would have to look out for David and his family. But we know that that changed. And, and Jonathan, I knew it was going to change as well. And so once David became the king, 2 Samuel 9 verse 1, David asked, is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is thinking about a promise that was made years before. And now on the first day when he's in charge of all of, all of the, the area of Israel, the 12 tribes, the question he has is, can I fulfill this promise? Can I make good to Jonathan on what I promised him because I have not forgotten? In the blank you can write, David's first order of business was to keep the promise made to Jonathan. His first order of business was to keep this promise made to Jonathan. This is so important because David is being just like God. Because when you, when you think about it, the Bible, the whole story of the Bible really is about a promise and the keeping of the promise. Genesis chapter three is, is where mankind fell into sin and then God made a promise, the promise to send a savior. And through the pages of the Bible, whether it be Abraham or David or Moses or whoever it is, the prophets, all of this was pointing ahead to that promise when that promise would be fulfilled and it was fulfilled in Jesus. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. And as we follow his heart, we make and keep those promises as well. We continue. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth, who I'm now just going to refer to as M, uh, he, he, as I said, he was dropped as a child and he had problems with his legs. And so what would happen is he was going to be a beggar for all of his life. And, and so as he would beg, there are people, you know what that's like. If there are people, most people when you're begging don't even want to look at you or see you. And, and so if you're on the side of the road, you know, they'll, they'll be like me. Go in the right lane, put your window up, look straight ahead, and I won't have to deal with the guilt of whether or not to give you money or not. And so he's in this situation, M's in this situation where normally people don't even want to look at him. So why in the world would the king bring him in? It, it made no sense to him. Even M calls himself a dead dog. He's like, I'm, you just don't even want to see that. It's something you look away from. In the blank, you can write, David showed Mephibosheth surprising grace. It was surprising. It was surprising, first of all, to, to Mephibosheth, but it was also surprising to all the rest of the people that David would think about that promise and make good on it. As I thought about this promise, again, it's like our God showing surprising grace. There's going to be a song that's sung right after the message, and the name of the song is How Can It Be? And how can it be, ask that same question, like, why, Lord, do you care about me? And the words of the song, the first part of it, I, I just find they're great for this. They really help bring an understanding. The, the song starts, I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the Holy One. I don't even, Lord, I can't even go to you in prayer and lift my hands. 
But then he says, you plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains. You overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can this be? How can it be? That's the surprising grace that God has shown to each and every one of us, that as we come in sin, being these beggars that, that deserve nothing from him, if anything, punishment, the same with Mephibosheth, expecting maybe even to be killed, that he's given grace instead. But he continues uh, that, that David not only shows the surprising grace, but then even more, he says, the king summoned Ziba, and Ziba was a person who was put in charge, he and his family, of looking out for M's well-being. So this is Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Normally, this would be something for David to take. The previous king, you get everything that's his. But he didn't. He gave it all to him. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat, will always eat at my table. That's crazy. So not only is he giving him all this, but he's telling him, you are going to eat with me every day. In the blank you can write, David offered Saul's descendant a permanent seat at his table. A permanent seat at the table. Again, I, I, I hope you can't help but see how David is being just like our God. He, he's done the same for you through Christ. And, and so as we look forward to heaven and, and, and the Bible describes, as God describes it, as Jesus describes what heaven is going to be like, he describes it so many times as a banquet, a banquet that you are invited to and there's going to be a seat there with your name on it. And if you're missing, he'll know. And with David, with Mephibosheth, if he wasn't there, David would say, where is he? What does he need? How can I help him? That our God tells us the same way, that there is a place for you at the banquet and it is permanent, that it is never going to, to be taken away from you. That is the promise. And, and again, we see David with the heart of God. So as we look at this, having this heart of God, we now take this message and apply it to ourselves. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. These words were written by Paul to a, a young pastor named Timothy, and... Here's what happens sometimes with young pastors. Uh, people do look down on you because you're young. They, the, that a pastor in our church body usually graduates around 26 years old, and you come to a congregation, you have no experience, and people will say, you know what? You know, what does he know? I, I, I'll look other places for some advice. And, and what Paul is telling him, it really is what this lesson is about. You're given authority, Timothy, and you can come in there and drop the hammer and say, you know what, there's a new sheriff in town. I'm the pastor at this church, and this is the way that it's going to be. But I'm going to suggest that you not do that. But what I'm going to suggest you do is that you set an example, that you show God's heart in your heart 
And when you do that, I guarantee you God's people will follow. An example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then finally, 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as, a, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Loving each other, that forgiving heart as well. And so in the blank you can write, with the authority God gives, we will reflect his heart. Now I need you, you to, to make this applications to wherever you're at in your life. What do I look like as a husband after God's own heart? What do I look like in my relationship with my kids as a father after God's own heart? What do I look like as a growth group leader after God's own heart, as a crosswalk kids volunteer after God's own heart, as a pastor after God's own heart? I have to believe it's going to be like Timothy being an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity? Who doesn't want to follow a husband like that? Who, who doesn't want to follow a, a pastor like that, a growth group leader that, that, a crosswalk kids volunteer? This is what God has called us to be. And, and this is the part that David showed, is that David, in understanding authority and understanding patience in the heart of God, was willing to wait until God gave him what he has promised. And that's what I'm asking you to do as well. That, that as you look at these places that, that you would like to be in your faith, maybe places you would like Crosswalk to be, I, I don't know exactly where you are at in, in this, but I do know that this lesson of, of being patient and trusting God's promises to do what is right is where God is leading us. A final thing that I, I as I had read through this, this is, this is how it described a, a heart that's after God's own heart. That first of all, it's a believing heart that looks at the promises of God and embraces them. The next one is it's a bold heart that after believing these promises, lives them. The next one is that it's an inquiring heart that asks God, where do you want me to go, God? Where, where do I go from here? Lead me and guide me. It's a repentant heart that asks for forgiveness. And finally, it's a loving and forgiving heart that wants nothing but the best for those who are around them. That's my prayer for you. That as you look at the roles that God has given, that you would, you would be a king that you would be a pastor, that you would be a parent, whatever role you have after God's own heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the gift of authority that you have given your church and government and families. Uh, thank you for people who, who look out for us and, and who look out for our well-being. And now, Lord, we also understand that you put us in positions of authority where we look out for others as well. As we do that, may we be people after your own heart, always searching your will, Lord, always being guided by you, strengthened by you, and encouraged by you. Please help us in all of the roles that you have given us. Amen.
So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. Up to this point in David's life, he really had two contrasting styles of authority. One of them was, was Saul, who uh, tried to hold on to it and didn't want to lose it and was paranoid all the time because of it. And then he had the leadership of his God uh, and, and trusting in him, which brought peace. And so when he became king, it was a no-brainer for him of which direction he would follow. In your life, I'm sure you have negative examples as well as a positive one in Christ. And, and as you go forward, whatever role it is, do it as one who's after God's heart as you do it. Also go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you on the patio.